everybody. It's good to see everyone here today. Um, I am I am really, really, really excited uh, to be here. Uh, really, I really am. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Rich Sanford, and I have been a pastor at the Compass Church for seven years, up until this past summer, where my wife and I both felt that God was calling us to be missionaries in what is America's most unreached region, and that's the, the great state of Utah. So we moved on out there and have been doing ministry there for the past several months. And uh, this is so great to get to come back to a place that we love so much and see so many people who have meant so much to us and get a chance to spend so much time with you. So this is really cool to be able to be back. And I have got to say a special shout out to my peeps down at 95th. We love you so much. We, uh, we pray for you all the time and are glad to finally get a chance to, to be with you this weekend. You know, not only do we get to be with you just because it's, it's great to see friends, but it also is around Christmas time, which we love. So we love getting to spend time with people around Christmas. But in addition to that, I've been given the great privilege uh, of getting to come and teach from God's Word, which is one of my favorite things to do. I absolutely love teaching God's Word. In fact, I even get a chance to do it just about every night. Because uh, after bath time with the kids, uh, we all pile up uh, on, on my, my bed. And my wife and I sit there holding the two of them. And I get little Bethany. She's almost three years old now. And I sit her on my lap and we read a Bible story to her. And uh, tell her all about some part of Jesus' life. Now I know that a lot of parents might do that also. And you have those little Bibles. Like we've got the, the cartoon one. You know, comic book style Bible with all little pictures. And so uh, this is the way it generally goes for us. I open the Bible up and I start reading through one of those stories, just a few pages long. And when I get to the end, the ritual goes that Bethany takes it, she opens, and then she rereads that story to us. Okay? So she gets a chance to kind of teach. So I thought that's kind of fun. So uh, a couple weeks ago, I was, uh, I was reading the story of Jesus when he was sleeping in the ship in the boat in the Sea of Galilee. And his disciples were around and all of a sudden the storm came up. And, and, and the, the waves came up and the wind blew them around and they thought they were going to die. So they woke Jesus up and then he stands up in the boat and he calms the storm. He settles it all down. And I just finished reading this story to her and then she grabs the, the Bible out of my hands all excited and she opens it up and she begins reading also and she starts like this. Jesus was afraid of the boat. I was like, no. No, I didn't, I didn't say Jesus was afraid of the boat. She says, and God was angry at Jesus. And I'm like, Bethany, no, no, no. That's not anything like what's going on. A little heretic on my hands in my bed. And, and, and she, she says these things, and I try to help correct. And oh, no, honey, that's not at all what it sounds. Yes, he was angry. No, honey, it's okay. And finally, when we get over that, we move on to the next story. And, and it's, it's a lot of fun. But here's the deal. We conclude that story, and the next night we pick up on another one, and the next night another one, and we're going to finish up the Bible, and we're going to go back, and we're going to start all over again, and we're going to read the stories until we get to that same one all over again. And we're going to read it, and we're going to teach it again another time. And then we're going to have to go around all over again. It might be another couple of months. It might be a year before we get back, but we're going to over and over and over again. We're going to come back to that same story, and I'm going to continue to teach about what it means. Now you see, that's kind of like Christmas time for church people. If you have ever been in a church in December, you've probably seen some Christmas lights. You've probably seen some poinsettias. 
Um, you've probably seen some Christmas trees and some, sung some Christmas carols, and you have very likely, almost definitely, heard the story about Jesus coming to the world to save the earth. You've probably heard that story. In fact, December comes, people go, okay, well, we know what the series is going to be this year. It's going back to that. And, and now, now here's the deal. It's important to do that because we've got to come back to the most powerful, pivotal moment in all of history, truthfully. But we also have to be careful that we don't run the risk of losing the significance of such an important event just because we do it every year. See, and so that's, my, that's what I want to kind of begin with as we get going. I've got the great chance to be here for the next three weekends. And one of the things as we go through this, we're going to see, hey, this is some of the stories we've heard before. But what I'm asking God to kind of refresh in us is to say, God, we've, we've heard this story. Even people who don't even come into church buildings may have seen nativity scenes or heard the story in some context. How do we make this so it's not just an insignificant, oh yeah, we, we, know, the, we know how the story goes. We know this. It all works out just fine. And so that's what I've been praying to God. As I've been preparing to come here and to share with you, I've been asking God, God, just, just help me know even the most basic, simple questions about Christmas. And I, I began asking God, God, what is the significance of Jesus coming? Why did Jesus come to the earth? Now, if you were to read through the Bible, if you were to grab hold of the thing and start in the very beginning— Genesis, and you were to work your way through the whole Bible, you'll get almost three quarters of the way through before Jesus shows up, before you read his name. Okay, in the book of Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament, you'll make it almost 75% through the whole Bible before you get to the first time that Jesus is mentioned. And yet, the entire Bible from beginning to end points back to Jesus as the hero of this story. Now, when I say hero to you, uh, there might be some things that come to mind. So I kind of want to flesh that out for a moment here. What comes to mind when I say the word hero? Do you picture uh, a fireman running up a a building that is burning up the stairs and and picking somebody up and carrying them to safety? Do you picture the fireman? Maybe you picture a soldier on a distant battlefield fighting for the freedoms of his countrymen. Maybe when I say hero, you are picturing Thor, (laughs) or one of the Avengers, or Superman, the superhero variety of hero. But whatever I'm asking you to kind of pull up and conjure up in your mind when it comes to hero, uh, there's a more significant question that goes with that, and that's this. What do all heroes have in common? What is it that the heroes of the stories always have in common when they enter into the scene? Because we're in Christmas time right now, right? So we start looking back to the day that Jesus showed up. The hero shows up on the scene. Why is it so significant? Well, what is common about all heroes? And you know what's common about heroes? They have something that they need to save us from. See, heroes are saviors. Their their job is to save. Their job is to do something to help those that they are trying to save. And therefore, there must be something from which we need to be saved. Let me put it this way. Imagine that same fireman who some might think is a hero. Imagine he shows up on Christmas morning while you're sitting there with a cup of coffee, all curled up in your robe on on the couch. The kids are opening presents. And he literally kicks in the door, comes in, picks you up, carries you outside, puts you down, goes back in for the next person, does it again. Every kid, every puppy, until everybody's safe outside. What are you going to do if the house is not burning down? You're probably going to call the cops on the fireman, right? Is he a hero in that moment? No, he's not a hero. He's not a hero because there's no fire. You see, what makes the fireman a hero is the fire. What makes the soldier a hero is the war. What makes Superman a hero is Lex Luthor. Right? 
I mean, I mean, you pick Luke Skywalker, it's Darth Vader, whoever, whoever your hero is. He's a hero because the circumstances in which he is placed needs saving. Well then, what did Jesus come to save us from? In John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus gives us some insight into the answer to this. Multiple times in the Bible, Jesus will say why he came, who he is. He'll give some clarity on something about himself. And already by this point in the book of John, several times he's made the, made the statement that I, I am the light of the world. I, I am the light. But here he goes a little bit further, not just saying I'm the light. He says why that light came into the world. John chapter 12, verse 46 I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So what did Jesus come to save us from? Darkness. Jesus came to save us from darkness. I want to talk about darkness for a moment because I can just say that and and we can go a million different directions. People can think all their own things with it. But let's camp on darkness just for a moment because if we're going to understand the fact that Jesus is the light of the world, that he shows up as a child on the day that we now honor as Christmas, we celebrate as Christmas, well then we need to first understand the backdrop into which he's come. What is that darkness into which the light has stepped? Why do we need that kind of Savior? Say it this way, how many of you uh, decorate your house with Christmas lights on the outside? How many put Christmas lights outside of your house? How many? That's all? You guys are screwed? Seriously? No, all all the way up. Christmas lights outside of the house? Okay. Christmas lights, a lot of you guys put Christmas lights outside of the house. How many of you turn those lights on and leave them on all day long? No, you energy hogs want to raise your hand. See, you're all like, oh, be a hippie wants to hit me with his moped in the parking lot. So here's the deal. If, if, if you put your Christmas lights on during the daytime, that really has no effect, right? Why? You wouldn't even see them. You wouldn't even notice. The significance of the lights are already drowned out by the sun. Likewise, when we think of Jesus coming into this world in the context of this blissful, wonderful paradise in which everything is perfect, moral ambiguity abounds, no one does any sin, there is nothing bad, he just shows up as one little light bulb in the midst of the sun, sunshine. We can't get who Jesus is unless we first ask, why? Why did he come? What was the darkness that Jesus stepped into? And he makes it pretty clear. I'm the light. I came in to shed my light onto the darkness. Now, for some of you, I don't even need to give examples. For some of you right now, you know exactly what I mean when I'm saying darkness. You may be having terrible relational fallouts with somebody you you love right now. Maybe a marriage is completely under fire for you. Maybe you feel that darkness all the time. Maybe there's somebody that you love who's sick in a hospital right now or might be in a hospital. Somebody who has passed away in the very recent past or somebody who might very soon. You, You know darkness. You feel it. Maybe it's your occupation. Maybe some of you are put in a position all day long where you get to see the darkness up close and personal. Uh, living in, in Salt Lake, uh, we have a, a, a friend of ours we've gotten to know who is a police officer 
who invited me to come along on a ride-along, you know, where you get, in the, you get in the car and they drive you around and get to kind of see what a police officer does. And he had the night shift, so we went like way late into the night. It's about 1, 2 a.m. I'm out with him driving around, and it was great, man. He was like busting drunks. He was like, you know, breaking up bar fights. It was so cool. I thought it was great. And so I'm watching all this stuff go down and seeing everything happen, and I'm realizing as the night goes on, when I'm usually sleeping, there's a lot of dirty things going down. Like, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm passed out. I'm dreaming about what I'm going to do the next day. And, and, and this is all happening even while we sleep. And I remember as I'm sitting with him about halfway through his shift, he says, oh, let me show you this one street. Drives down a street. It looks like a total normal block. You'd never notice anything. And he drives down. He says, that, that house is actually a drug house. They buy that house just out so they can do drug deals. That house right there, a woman was brutally murdered in that house a year ago. That house, we found a whole lot of kids. They did some bad things to them in there. That house down there, that's, that's a bunch of gangbangers always fighting. We have to go over there every, every other night because something's happened. And as we drove down, over and over and over, they kept pointing out houses. And he kept saying, look at that one and this one and this one. And all of a sudden, that shroud of suburban America turned into the darkness that was behind the veil. I just realized, I was like, my goodness, that's dark. Some of you work in a similar type of occupation where all day long you have to face the dark. You see it. You can't avoid it. You get home, you try to shake it off before you walk in to see your family because you don't want it to stick to you. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? And while that kind of practical darkness, while typhoons and tornadoes and and, and death and, 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 and that kind of devastation, while those things are very devastating in darkness, nothing is as profoundly overwhelming as the darkness that is spiritual. The spiritual darkness. About a little more than a month ago, I went to a pastor's church planners conference in Denver with a handful of guys. And um, the, the kind of the keynote speaker was a pastor who was sharing with us the importance of praying against spiritual darkness. And he stood on the stage and he, he told us a story about when he was flying into Denver, into the Rocky Mountains. And sitting in the plane next to him was a man who the entire flight had his, his hands folded like this and he was just... And he, he noticed that it was, he was praying. And as the whole flight went on, he wanted to kind of ask the guy, but he just was, kept praying and praying. And so when the flight was almost ended, they were about to land, he realized, I'm not going to have a chance. So he just bumped the guy with his elbow and said, hey, sorry to interrupt you, but I noticed, I noticed you, you praying. Isn't that what you were doing? And the man said, yes, yes it was. And he said, wow, well... He goes, that's really cool. So you're a Christian? And the man says, absolutely not. And he's like, well, the pastor friend says, well, I, I don't understand. And he said, I'm a Satanist. And my community has committed to pray against Christian marriages in the Rocky Mountains until their leaders fall. Spiritual darkness is far darker than the natural evil of this world in its fallen state. I've been to war a couple times. Um, I've seen some dark seasons and some dark things. But to be honest with you, I have never experienced darkness like my wife and I are experiencing now in Utah. 
the most unchristian, unchurched region of our country by far. Three or four times less Christian gospel grace presence in Utah than anywhere else. And we, we knew that going in, but it is oppressive. Spiritual darkness is more profound than any other darkness you'll find. And you pray against it. But you know, that kind of spiritual darkness is something that oftentimes gains blame from us towards God. Because regardless of whether you call it spiritual or practical or just something you sense or something that you feel, it is almost impossible to deny that there is darkness, isn't it? Some people try and they look completely foolish when they say that there is no difference between good and evil. They are the same. They look foolish when they say that. And oftentimes anyone who will assert that there is no sin, there is no right or wrong, anyone can do whatever they want, if you bring up an extreme circumstance like, I don't know, Hitler and the Nazis, they'll go, oh, well, that's an exception. That's obviously bad. You see, people know there is a darkness. They know there is a badness. And that is what Jesus came for, the darkness of the world. Not just the typhoons, not just death, not just sickness and relational strife, but the spiritual darkness that hearkens of a life in eternity separated from God. A spiritual darkness. I... uh, was helping out with some of the stuff we were doing here. You might have seen the, the video we played at the top end of the service that showed um, some people trying to answer uh, a bunch of questions about Christmas uh, carol trivia, right? Uh, I, I went out to Salt Lake City and we filmed a little bit of that with, uh, with my a pastor friend of mine. And we walked up to this one woman and, and said, hey, can we, can we film you and ask you some Christmas carol trivia? And she says to me, uh, yeah, sure, but I just should, you should know I'm not religious. I was like, oh, okay. Well, let's talk about that. So what do you mean you're not religious? She goes, well, I just don't really know if I, I believe all the Christmas stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't even use a Christmas tree anymore. And I was like, oh, okay, well, um, like, do you, do you believe in God? And she goes, no, I, I mean, I'd call myself an atheist. And for the record, anybody, anytime somebody calls himself an atheist, I always attack it and go, really? You don't believe in any kind of God? And she said, well, well, I mean, I just have trouble believing that if there was a God he'd allow bad things to happen. You see what just happened there? This is somebody who, you may have heard this exact same thing before. She acknowledged the darkness, but instead of of embracing the fact that there is darkness, what do you do? You blame, you point to God. You say, well, he's the darkness. He's the one who allows the darkness. And so that's when I had this moment, I, I looked at her and I said, you know, I used to think like that too. I used to think that. And then I remember going off and doing my own thing in life. And then finally I realized that I was the one contributing to all the darkness that is in this world. And I could no longer blame God. I said to her, I said, have you ever hurt anybody for any reason? Have you hurt them? She's like, well, yeah. And I said, well, then you're to blame. You have contributed to the very darkness with which you blame God for. I mean, you, you point to God and say, look, God, you have done these terrible things. And yet you're going to say that you, on your own volition, have hurt somebody. That massive pile of badness of the evil that is in this world, you have contributed to. This world is worse today than it was before you were born because your sins have been added to it. How can we blame God? How can you blame God for your actions, what you have done? 
Can you, do you not see that it's the same? No, I, I didn't talk to her quite the way I'm talking to you right now. But close. In that moment, she stopped and said, I, 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 I guess I never really thought of that. And you know, we don't. We don't think of that. But Jesus makes it so clear that God is a righteous judge. And he's allowed to look down and say what is wrong and what is right and to see the things that we have done. And John 3, 19 may say it in one of the most succinct ways. Let me read this to you. So many of us know John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall, not have, shall have eternal life, never perish. But listen to what number 19 says. Continue going on and listen to what the judgment is that God would have for us. The judgment in verse 19, chapter 3 says this, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus. Jesus has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Do you know what that means? Jesus came to this earth to save you from you. Your sin. Your works are evil. You are the ones who have sinned against God, have contributed to the badness of this world. Listen, this is, this is fundamental, the first half of the gospel. You are broken. It is not the badness of the world that Jesus came to save us from. He did not come just to bring peace, just to throw out anyone who wants peace. It doesn't work that way. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. He knew division would come because of what he was doing in his life. There would be blood from the beginning to the end. Jesus knew that that would be the case. And the reason is because of the darkness inside of us. God doesn't do this. We do this. We bring the badness. We can't point. We can't blame. Without first owning, God, it is my sin. It is my darkness. Sit in that for a moment. Sit in it for a moment that it is your sin that causes that separation between you and God. Knowing that we were coming back, my my heart had been bursting for this church. We, my wife and I, love this church. We love the people of this church. And we think about you and we pray for you. And I'm supposed to be focusing on thinking about you too. I'm losing sleep over people at the compass because our hearts can't just not love them anymore. Can't not love you any longer. And there are two things that are so heavy on my heart that I can't not share with you. If you are not a believer in Christ... If you come like so many people do, come to the compass who do not know Jesus, do not claim allegiance to him because you're trying to learn, want to listen, you like the things that are here, we love it. That is is one of the most wonderful things about this church is these doors have always been open wide. You are welcome to be part of what we do. But I'll tell you, I move away. And what's so heavy on my heart is that there are people here who are as lost as the people in Utah. There are people right here who I know and whom I love and who I talk to and have had a chance to preach before who have heard these things over and over again. And do you know what my greatest concern is for you? That nobody will love you enough to confront you with your own sin. That you will never experience real Christmas. You will celebrate December 25th, but you will never be able to celebrate the fact that a Savior came to save you from your darkness. You cannot celebrate Christmas without knowing that that is true. And my hope, my prayer, sincere prayer for you is that you would repent of your sins, that you would turn to God. What are you waiting for? Have you not heard this gospel message? Have you not heard this truth? The people who are 
sisters and brothers of Christ around you. They love you. They don't want anything from you. Do you know what we want from you? Nothing. We don't want your money. We don't want your devotion. We don't want your time. We don't want one more butt in the seat so we can say, look, we're getting bigger. We want what we have that has been a free gift to us, salvation. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, we want for you to have that. And we will walk with you and weep for you. And we will take you to the cross. We will point you to it and we will offer that free gift that God offers to you and we cannot force your hand. We can't make you. Has the darkness brought you so much joy? Have you not seen what happens when we lean on our own ability? That's what I want to share with those who don't know Christ like that now. But those who do, my concern is that you would be blinded. We talk all the time about uh, the, the wonderful stories of the Bible in John chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, about maybe Saul or the man born blind and that how it's such a great picture of somebody being spiritually blind uh, as they're physically blind and then being restored physically and it's like a spiritual metaphor. How beautiful is that? That we talk about those who used to be blind like an amazing grace, that beloved hymn, that what a great line is that, that well, I once was blind but now I see what if you're blind right now? Is it possible for a Christian to be blind? I was asking God about this and praying as I was considering coming and sharing with you. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter is speaking to a whole bunch of believers and he gives them a list of, of virtues that follow a faithful life. If you have faith already, if you are a Christian who's devoted your life to Christ, then you, there's some things that you can pursue, that you can strive towards that's going to make you more Christ-like. It's honoring to you, it's honoring to God. He goes, so for Christians, that's the case. However, and he says in verse 9, chapter 1, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Having forgotten, he was cleansed from his former sins. It is possible for believers in Jesus Christ, those who have been saved by his perfect life given on the cross, it is possible for us to be blinded. How? When we forget that we've been cleansed from our former sins. That's why darkness matters. That's why we need to think about the backdrop into which Jesus shows up on Christmas. We need to remember our sin, not so that the enemy can shame us, but so that we can exalt God for releasing us from the bonds of sin. That we would, for the rest of our days, that we would, we would herald that truth. That we would not just sit one weekend after the next soaking things in, but we would realize, God, you have cleansed me from my sins. It will keep us from being ineffective, and unfruitful. That's my prayer for my brothers and sisters in faith here at the Compass. Do you want to know the really, 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 really good news? The world is dark. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what were the first words he spoke over creation? Let there be light. Our God specializes in bringing light into the darkness. No matter where you are, no matter how dark you feel, no matter how deep you have gone, God specializes in bringing life from death, light into darkness. There is no depth that you can have fallen that he cannot speak into and bring light to exactly where you are. That is why we celebrate 
That is why we get so crazy at Christmas time and all hyped up with eggnog and Christmas lights. We love celebrating Christmas because the darkness that overwhelmed and came from our hearts has now been shown with light. Our God loves us that much. My hope and my prayer is that those who don't know the Lord would accept that God shine your light upon my life and that those who have accepted that would be a light themselves. And I'll continue to pray that for the rest of my days. Let's pray. Lord, you are such a good, wise, wonderful, perfect God. And we, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned each and every one to his own way. Every one of us has erred. Every one of us has sinned, Lord. And because of those sins, God, we are the reason. We are the reason this world is so dark. Lord, forgive us. God, cleanse us from our sins. Point us to you. Allow us to see your perfect light and fill our hearts with it. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us as we sing.